Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Woohoo! Happy, happy Monday. I, I feel like I just I get a little bit happier every day. Maybe that'll change. I don't know. But there's still so much great news out there regarding the election, uh, considering how many people were saying that bad things were going to happen. I'm not going to name any names. Uh, no, there was a lot. Of, there were a lot of people who were concerned and were seeing uh, just such uh, good numbers. Uh, Tim Hogan joins me in studio. He's the, uh, would you say, editor-in-chief of Heartland Signal? Yeah, is that, that counts, right? I like that's that. The executive editor. Executive that's editor. That's the title I gave myself. I like all of it. Yeah. Uh, so how, compared to going into it, what, what did you follow ahead of the midterm election? Was it the polling? You talked to a lot of people who are running campaigns across the country. Yeah. I mean, just the general vibes uh-huh. I was following. But, no, it is a question of following the polling. And I always tell people, don't follow the polar coaster in the final weeks of an election. And then I do it myself and then <laughs> pretend to keep it together when uh-huh. I'm not. Um, but the reality is, uh, I think, an underappreciated part of the polling in this cycle is that you and it's this is mechanical and wonky and in the weeds but like we should be aware of it there are a lot of republican groups out there that pay for polls very late in the game mm-hmm. to cause a little bit of panic uh, or I think to give themselves some hope. You also have groups that are right-leaning pollsters like the Trafalgar group. I mean, one of the, I was looking through the polls of the last few weeks and there was one, they have to like list their sponsor they're required to disclose, like Real Clear Politics. And they're like, this is sponsored by, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop from Hellpack. I'm like, oh, that's got to be, that's <laughs> a neutral sus. one, right? That's a fair. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, th- I do think that is part of it. Yes, you follow the polls, but uh, Republicans put some uh, lean into, uh, you know, manipulating those in in the closing weeks here. And I think that had an impact on, on overall attitude. It really, uh, the mood, right? And maybe mm-hmm. that's a part of what young people were like, oh, you know, I don't know that they follow any of that. But how magnificent is it to find out the percentage of women who, between the ages, I believe, was it 18 and 29, 72% voted Democrat. And that's, yeah. I think, impactful for the long term, too, because this is what we talk about is playing the long game. And we're not as uh, aggressive mm-hmm. as Republicans are, whether it's buying media or uh, manipulating people and scaring people. They've scared people yep. into thinking, well, whatever that is, I don't want anything to do with it. Right. Right. I mean, it's the, finally the, looking like it's backlash. They're also very good at like we are. I know it's always like, oh, Democrats are bedwetters. Democrats are bedwetters. <laughs> but like the, the other we are. But the other side of that is like we're Republicans never worry. They're like, whatever. Like, we're going to not count the yeah. votes and, you know, say crazy things. But, yeah, these are our candidates. So we're, and we're going to win and own the libs because you guys suck. You know, that that is like the general demeanor of the Republican Party. And I think, you know, I don't want to say we should replicate that. I don't think we should replicate that. No. I don't think our base would ever go for that. Uh, but I think there's a little bit of a lesson there of, like, some confidence, you know, having a little bit of backbone and believing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just 
just look. It's it's like the narrative flipped overnight, right? Barreling into election day, it's like, oh my god, are we talking too much about democracy? Are we talking too much about abortion? We're not talking about and, and look, look, like there's a valid argument. They're like, we should be talking about pocketbook issues, absolutely. Right. But this like hemming and hawing of like, oh, are we talking too much about the collapse of Western civilization? No, like that's a big deal. Like we should be talking about the fact that these candidates have gotten more extreme time over time over time. And really, this is like the first election cycle. We've had a ton of secretaries of state, for example, up to be like, wouldn't commit to accepting election results. And that is something we should make a big deal out of. But flip a switch the day after, we're like, this was the year that voters stood up and said, enough is enough. We love democracy. You know what I mean? It's just like, (laughs) I I love us. I really love us. I'm glad we did well. Uh, I'm glad we are us. Yeah, I'm glad we are us. But like, come on, guys. Let's like, just keep it together. I'm saying this to myself as well. Well, I mean, on the other hand, while while Republicans go into it with a lot of confidence, like the fallout is fun to watch, too. Like Lauren Boebert going silent for 24 hours. I've seen a lot of Republicans who were like, as soon as DeSantis won, they're like tweeting. And now they haven't tweeted in five days. And I, I love that. I mean, it's going to be it is it's going to be chaos with them, like in a lot of different ways. I mean, you've got Trump making an announcement on question mark tomorrow. Right. Whatever that's going to be. And then you have House leadership elections happening on the Republican side. Like right now, Kevin McCarthy, you know, you have to get nominated by your caucus first and then it goes to the full floor. But like he he has has no room for error. Right. My prediction would be Kevin McCarthy will be possibly the next, most likely the next speaker. Like he will he will have the votes to be the next speaker. This is me being a depressing person. again. No, it's not depressing. Uh, But but I but but, I think that will happen. But but there's that. And then there's infighting on the Republican side. Like everyone wants someone to challenge Mitch McConnell, but like you know, to to be the king, you got to beat the king, whatever that's from. Uh, you know, there's no one who's stepped up to challenge him quite yet. But there's a lot of infighting, uh, you know, in, in internally in those caucuses. Yeah, and, and do you think he'll have any teeth if he does? As you mentioned, there's all this infighting, uh, and we don't want it, obviously. But we're not going to see the endless Hunter Biden investigations or right. all the things that they were threatening, like you know, Merrick Garland. We want it. We want all your documents. Make sure you yep. have everything in order. To remember all those threats. Yeah. That's kind of. I think they will try to execute on some of that stuff. Okay. Honestly, they'll have they'll have a slim enough majority and try to get try to get people riled up. And I think they'll be able to line up their folks to do some of those things. Uh, particularly, they'll like sign people out to committees. They'll put their most aggressive people on the oversight committee. They will likely subpoena literally everything. Um, but you know, if it is a very thin margin, which I saw, uh, we are most likely on track for the slimmest margin in the House since 1931, uh, which leaves zero. Room for error. It also, in a very wonky way, uh, opens something up called a discharge petitions for Democrats, which basically is, and this was this is how they tried to pass immigration reform uh, in 2014 when John Boehner passed the Senate. John Boehner would not bring it up in the House. He refused to bring it up in the House. It would pass if he brought it up in the House. So what Democrats did unsuccessfully, but maybe more successfully now because the margin will be smaller, is to start circulating a petition that if you get a majority of people in the House to sign on to it, it triggers the vote that you are trying to get on a piece of legislation. So if you can convince one or two, I mean, we'll see what the margin is, or or three Republicans to sign some, you know, bipartisan discharge petition, then, you know, Kevin McCarthy's uh, power is totally eroded and Democrats have a chance to, like, sneak some stuff in there. What's your handle on how many, perhaps, I don't know if reasonable, but, you know, pliable 
Republicans yeah. there might be uh, with this new. Uh, how, ma- how many did they? How many new Republican uh, legislators do we have now yeah. in the House? I don't. I don't know what the count will be for total new legislators, like mm-hmm. you know freshmen. Um, but you have people who are in more swingy districts. Um, you know, like John uh, James comes to mind um, out of Michigan. Right, there are people who are getting elected who have to keep an eye on what the trends look like for them in 2024. So I don't think you're going to see a lot of them breaking ranks to like help Democrats pass this something, you know, I particularly going into a presidential year, uh, particularly when we have, again, a very thin margin in the Senate, people stepping out. But if there are good bipartisan ideas, you know, some of some of them might get passed. I think an example is like the bipartisan infrastructure bill, right? Like it was bipartisan. We did have people um, on both sides of the aisle vote for it. I think there have been conversations about what does it look like to, for example, cap insulin prices. We did it in the Inflation Reduction Act for people on Medicare at $35, but not everybody. And so the question is, are the votes there, for example, to do that, stand alone, um, if you were to circulate it as a discharge petition, or maybe negotiate with Kevin McCarthy and be like, hey, bring this up. We know you wanted to pass this. Look, again, I'm not trying to be optimistic about how kind the Republicans will be to us with their newfound majority, but I think there are opportunities for Democrats to be strategic. Will you remember where you were when you found out the Democrats held on to the Senate? Uh, no, because no. I can't tell you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was in, uh, my son was in his second performance at the University of Chicago, mm. and we were going, it was going to intermission, and someone said, the Dems held on to the Senate. And I was like, I turned around, I was like, what? Oh, and I love that. I, it was amazing. So yeah. I was very, I was like messaging my son backstage yeah, and everything. That's yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it is, it's, it's, um, it's very fitting in a way that it came down to Nevada, former majority leader, Harry Reid, the Reid machine that was built out there. I used to work in Nevada. And just the investment that he brought to that state to turn it from a red state to a purple state to a blue state mm-hmm. and for, for Catherine Cortez Masto to be able to be the one to say, look, it doesn't I'm not I'm going to say this, but I don't mean it, it doesn't matter what happens in Georgia because it does matter what happens in Georgia. Yes. We're going to have the majority regardless, um, I think is a big is a big statement. Harry Reid's definitely smiling over that. I'm not. I mean, I'm not gloating. I'm just uh, breathing. <laughs> um, we're not. Look, we're 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 just assessing. Yeah. And taking a look at it. But I, I want I want more not to oh, because absolutely. I want to make uh, Mansion and Cinema. And, and, and these things are long games, right? Like you need, you think, oh, well, we have it now, but you might need that one seat cushion in a future cycle, yes. right? It's it's so important. Yeah, and that was the thing too is that I was, I asked somebody, uh, I was asking Dan Schaefer from the Recombination mm-hmm. Area and our HeartlandSignal.com uh, team uh, about. I, I never remember how long terms are, and I think that be, there's so much going on at once that it is hard to. Ha- so obviously the House is every two years, yep. right? And the Senate's every six every years. Every six years, so a third of them are up every other every every election cycle. Yeah. Okay, and what was Warnock? Was he writing out someone else's Warnock, term? Warnock, yeah, Warnock was a special election, so he was up right again. Uh, whereas Ossoff gets to run again in twenty twenty six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so. so the do you how, how optimistic do you feel about Georgia? I feel good. I mean, I guess it depends on how you think about it, right? Like, I think the point that has been made to me that I believe the most is there were a lot of Republicans who went out to vote for Kemp and probably were like, all right, I'll vote for Warnock, too. But they might or they, sorry, they, they might then went to go for vote for Walker, too. OK, uh, so I think that there might Ooh. be Republicans who are like, I voted for Kemp. I, I checked the box for Walker, but I'm not going to go out again. And I also think it's slightly demotivated to the Republican base, it's like, look, we can elect this guy who's kind of 
dumb. Did you uh, watch Pal- Did you watch Pal's <laughs> opening monologue? I watched part of oh it. Oh my god! Yeah, when he yeah, said, yeah. "I don't want to say anything about a black man, but yeah. he's observably stupid," is what Chappelle said. I, I just like you know. The one true thing that uh, Herschel Walker said at a rally once is like he's like I don't even know how to spell politician. I'm like I believe that, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I do think that there are there are advantages for Democrats in this, um, and I think the fact that it's not a tipping point anymore mm-hmm. takes more away from Republicans than it does for Democrats. I also think there's just like momentum on our side in Georgia in general. We've just recently made this red state in the South, a purple state, take take two Senate seats. You know, we've had competitive gubernatorial races there. I think our infrastructure is very fresh. You know what I mean? Like we've built these lists of people that we're voting out, that we're, that we're reaching out to, that are going and voting, that we're mobilizing. And I think that's good for us. And what do you think, uh, what, are your, what are your hopes for Stacey Abrams' role going forward? I mean, did you think she should have, I mean, I don't know. It's hard looking it's at it now. It's so hard. I mean, yeah. you just running in this environment, I, I think it's tough for everybody. And, you know, it's like, yeah, but Tony Evers in Wisconsin, right? Squeaks by Tim Michaels, kind of a MAGA guy, a little more mild. Or like Doug Mastriano losing in Pennsylvania. Like Josh Shapiro wins there because by virtue of the fact that that guy's, you know, crazy person. And uh, Brian Kemp, I think, had virtue working for him in the sense that he got to appeal a little bit to the Trump crowd, but at the same time be like, look, he called me. He tried to get me to overthrow the election. I didn't do it. You all should applaud that, which is like, yeah, that's the basic (laughs) fundamental part of your job that you shouldn't throw elections um, you know, for, some, for, for a president who's lost, who's throwing a tantrum. But I do think that Sheen worked for him. In terms of Stacey Abrams going forward, it's what is frustrating about it to me is the reason we have the Georgia we have right now is because of Stacey Abrams, because she built an infrastructure there, because she built a multi-generational, multi-racial coalition over years, decades of work. Right. And it is depressing to not see her benefit from that by winning herself but other people are winning races because of the work that she's done so i guess i don't know she should do whatever she wants but i hope she continues to do the voter infrastructure contact mobilization outreach type work that she's done because the democratic party has benefited immensely from it well that's what i mean is a, is, is a bigger role in dnc appropriate yeah. and helpful it could be yeah it could be. I, I, I think so. I think it's whatever she wants. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I know I pulled you in from the hallway. Did you? Do you need to run? No, I'm, I'm good. Let's, go, I'm let's good. do another let's segment. Let's do another segment. Awesome. Yeah. We're hanging out with Tim Hogan, the executive director of HeartlandSignal.com, where you can find all the great news stories that they are tracking down that you might not catch, uh, including highlighting some of the craziness uh, that comes out of places like Ron Johnson's mouth. Let's take a break here on Driving Home. By the way, an extended hour. I'm on till 7 o'clock. Coming up, we'll have Renato Mariotti at 5.30. And cartoonist for the Chicago Tribune, Scott Stantis at 6. And the phone lines, the text lines, 773-763-9278. More in a moment on Driving at Home with me, Patty Vasquez, on the Heartland Signal. WCPT 820 is proud to introduce Heartland Signal, a multimedia newsroom of WCPT 820. Heartland Signal is dedicated to providing news coverage for the 2022 midterms in the Midwest region. At HeartlandSignal.com, you can find all the day's news and views to keep you informed and up to date. If you love listening to WCPT 820, then you'll love getting your news from HeartlandSignal.com. Visit us there today. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. 
Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Manaqua Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of every can of Choice Hard Seltzer you buy goes to reproductive rights organizations in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer this summer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Dino's Cardinal Liquors in Gurney, Illinois, and Sugar Beet Food Co-op in Oak Park, as well as in Chicago at Jarvis Square Tavern, Rogers Park, and Garfield's Beverage Express Wicker Park. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We are in studio with the executive director of HeartlandSignal.com. Tim Hogan joins us in studio, and I was telling him about some craziness that happened uh, at City Hall today where they could not get a quorum, and they were they were supposed to be debating uh, raising revenue t- for the for homeless issues, uh, houseless issues. Uh, I was watching a George Carlin thing about how we need to stop mm. saying, because home is, an, is a concept and not a physical place to be, mm-hmm. whereas a housing is. Um, so there were obviously a lot of people that were supposed to speak at 9 o'clock this morning, advocates and, mm-hmm. and people who are houseless, and, uh, and, and they couldn't get a quorum. They were never heard. I mean, getting oh, wow. there at 9 in the morning on a Monday, is a pain to begin with. Sure. So you were asking about, because uh, the, the older people are not available tonight. They're all door knocking for right. signatures. Uh, so yes, the process. Do you want to ask? So I mean, I'm you know fascinated by Chicago politics as a Minnesota transplant and being here for a couple of years now. But so they have to gather signatures, yes. right, in order to get on the ballot. 12,005 for the mayor. Yeah. I don't know how many for older people. I'll have to find out. But yes. But oh, 500. I know this. Is it 500? Yes. And then uh, turn in by November 28th. Something like that. And then there is a deadline by which you can then challenge challenge yes. other people. So, and then the thing about that, so it could be that this is not a Chicago registered voter. Mm. Their signature doesn't match. They are, um, they've signed too many petitions, which is... Uh, oh, do you have a limit how many petitions you can sign? Well, that's the thing. Listen, like, listeners, if you've signed too many petitions, well, you need to stop it. No, no, no. I don't know how to advise people on this. I say, all right, don't listen to me. Listen I, say, to I say sign them all and let them... What I hate about this is they make it litigious, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, like I was uh, collecting signatures in a neighborhood near here and... And a legislator in the neighborhood previously had subpoenaed uh-huh. voters. So now they're afraid. They don't, they're like, I don't want to go to court. Oh, I want to wow. pay for parking. I don't want to take a time off work. I, they felt intimidated. Yeah. And now they sign no petitions. Uh-huh. And I think that the, this challenging of it, I mean, they're, they're, I wish there was a better way to do it so that you don't disenfranchise voters yeah. who otherwise might have a conversation with a can Because it's not what I used it as was not just the signature goal, but also as a way to campaign because I didn't have as deep a pockets as the incumbent. Oh, sure. you know? yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's. But yeah. you also, so the strategy then there is you got to get a bunch of signatures. Oh, because you, you got to have a cushion. I had. I was so excited. I had. <laughs> I needed five hundred, and I had. I turned in twenty four. I think we we oh, had, wow. we had over three thousand signatures. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Did you still get challenged? Uh, I did not. Okay. I made it. I made it undeniable. Nice. And I, what I did was my husband. Is that a legal category? Undeniable. Undeniable. She cannot be challenged. She is undeniable. undeniable. <laughs> what we did was we we did the good sheets. So my husband would go down to the board of elections mm-hmm. and compare signatures, addresses, and do all the confirmation. So anything that was eight and above, you have ten signatures per page. Okay. We would put we would filter them through on the top in the middle. So no matter where you flipped it through, you would l- most likely land on a good page. Got it. Yeah. Got it. it was so okay. exciting. I loved it. I loved running for office. Yeah. 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 I did. Yeah. And the stuff that I, I hold on to, the rage that I and the, the accountability that I demand mm-hmm. is, you know, I will hold on to that. I still loved doing it. And sure. and, and I and part of it is because a woman who was she told me she was brutally raped when she was seventeen and she saw my campaign mm-hmm. and she's like, I, I can never I'll never do that. And that's one of the 
reasons, because they weaponize the trauma of violent survivors, Mm -hmm. that I will continue to hold them accountable, but also say it is one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's, that is uh, public advocacy, right? That is, that is representing people. Yeah. And and so this goes back to what we have been talking about, which is uh, how things turned out last week and how we felt going into it. And, you know, for individuals who don't have the sort of insight that you do, I think that it does help to do tangible things like Mm -hmm. writing postcards or making phone calls and getting people out. We want that seat, Tim. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that is that is, you know, in in, in Georgia, by the way, I'm talking. Right. Right. I mean, you you should not rest on your laurels now that we have kept the Senate. Right. We should. And whatever you can do, uh, I would say the easiest thing is just to reach out to either the Democratic Party of Georgia Mm -hmm. or reach out to Reverend Warnock's campaign. They will find something for you to do. They will put you on a dialer. You can call people. If you don't like that, you can write postcards. If you want to go down there, you can go knock on doors. If you don't do any of that you can give them some money there's there's a, they will find a way for you to help so yes. if you are stress watching msnbc uh, i know we feel good right now we feel good which is good uh and and not to make you feel bad but you should stay involved and you should find a way um to to help reverend warnock that's my I, that's I, my pitch i loved that idea that uh, hal sparks was talking about that we needed to, to, to this is gardening right yes. we're trying to weed and but now you need to feel like oh i, I got that blossom on the on the vine right how, how can i preserve it right. and grow more of that and it's yeah it's it's so funny to me when people are like well i voted and nothing changes it's like well guess what you know every other american and gets to vote and some of them don't want what you want and if there's more of them and they're more organized then they're going to get what they want like at the base level uh, you know minus all the gerrymandering and lobbyist money and rigging that goes on uh, at the base level that is how it works so you can't just vote and then disengage and be like well I didn't get what I wanted you have to do it Regularly, I think that's part important part of American civic education is that voting is not a one-time exercise. It's a habit. You should make it a habit. Yes. You should make civic engagement a habit, whether that is reading your newspaper or knowing what's happening locally or nationally. Uh, it's not something that is just pulling a lever and walking away and hoping you get what you want. Yeah, not, not at all. So going forward, now that I'm at two hours, you told me that I could yank you out of the hallway again yes. anytime I want anytime. to. So I think we should have you on every week Absolutely. if you're up for it. I would Let's love do to it. do that. Yeah. yeah. We have to figure out a name for your, for, uh, I need a jingle. Can we jingle? Yes, can we, I can get we'll a, jing- a jingle. I can yeah. totally get uh, someone to do a jingle for you. Oh, I will I send uh, information to our good friend Steve Goody, <laughs> and we have to figure out a title for the segment. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. oh, I, f- I feel like having hoagies. It was only oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hoagies with Hogan. Yeah. No, Hogan, our Hogan's hero, heroes. Our, I was going to say our hero Hogan. Yeah, oh, it could differently. Be. That could be so, good. What a weird thing to develop a sitcom around. Is I know. Stuff. I have like it would just not. It would not work today. I no, don't think. Like these silly Nazis. Probably not. A, Bef- before we yeah. go, you know that that was based off the the movie. Have you ever seen Stalag Seventeen? Uh uh-uh. There's a movie with. Uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember the name of that lead actor, but it's really good. Okay. It's a similar okay. thing. It's sort of. It's a little more gritty, okay. obviously, but yeah. For some reason, they were like, "Let's make it a comedy." Yeah, it's so weird. I just like. <laughs> I'm not my generation, so I'm like, ah, I don't know. It feels wrong. <laughs> it is my generation, yeah. and I saw. That. <laughs> We're a little dark, I guess. Yeah, I mean, as yeah. Gen X, we're a little, uh, I mean, <laughs> we're strange. Uh, tell people about finding the stories that you guys do on Heartland oh, Signal. Uh, yeah, follow us. We're at heartlandsignal.com. We published a ton of stuff this cycle, um, you know, whether it was on Ron Johnson, who unfortunately won, talking about, you know, using mouthwash to kill COVID, or, uh, you know, Matt DiPerno, AG candidate in Michigan who lost, comparing birth control to fentanyl, whole bunch of things. So we, we do a lot of exclusive reporting. You'll find a lot of news there. It's heartlandsignal.com. 
com. Outstanding. And thank you so much, everybody, for uh, tuning in with us. And by the way, listen at Heartland Signal, because right now the signal gets a little bit wonky. And the best place to listen is at heartlandsignal.com. All those sh- the shows are right there. Have a great night, Tim. Thanks for hanging out thank with you. me. And we'll talk to you next week or any day that Warner. you're just in the hallway. Just I'm like, come in here. <laughs> they have fun. Have a good night. Let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to check in with Renato Mariotti. A lot of great stories, whether it's FTX uh, imploding. I don't even know what FTX is, but I, t- I heard him say it's like a, is it one of those uh, crypto? Yeah. It's crypto, yeah. yeah. I say, I don't know. Yeah. I and, don't know. And Blockchain. Then t- and then Twitter and Eli Lilly, you know, with their, oh, yeah. oh it's amazing. It's a mess. And then, of course, Ginny uh, Thomas's uh, phone might be, her, my, some messages might pop up in somebody's. Uh, I'm going to listen to this. I know. I'm excited. I'm excited too. Let's take a break here. We'll take your calls to 773-763-9278 on the Heartland Signal. This is Patty Vasquez. We're driving it home till 7. This is WCPT 820, where you can hear the Stephanie Miller Show every weekday, 8 to 11 a.m., because facts matter. The Rick Smith Show, live, weeknights from 8 to 10 p.m. Look at what's happening. The Rick Smith Show on WCPT 820. Everyone is talking about it. Chicago's progressive talk. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. I am so excited to welcome my good friend and the host of, well, he's the host of On Topic. You've seen him on uh, CNN and MSNBC, and now he's launching a new podcast called It's Complicated. Renato Mariotti joins us on the phone right now. Renato, congratulations on this new podcast. Tell us all about it. Oh, God. Well, thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Patty. Uh, yeah, I'm launching uh, uh, an updated new version of this uh, of my podcast with Asha Ringapa as my co-host, uh, and that means that the podcast is going to be way more fun. The, the idea is that I'm going to be discussing complicated legal uh, legal topics, but we're going to uh, try to make those a little bit less complicated uh, and have some fun along the way. So it should be a really good. Well, I'm a, I'm good, super. Uh, I'm very excited for you because I, I was so I'll be honest as your co-host for on topic I was always like oh god this is so complicated you need somebody who is as talented and as informed as you are to uh, you know shed a light on things uh, in the way that you two can together you have such great chemistry so I'm super excited and not at all hurt <laughs> well thank you I, thank you Patty I appreciate that I have the feeling you'll make appearances uh, here and there when uh, you know is part of our menagerie of, uh, of, uh, of associated people. Well, I know that your journey to a commentator and an expert in things that um, not necessarily your goal. It was kind of something that you were on Twitter. You knew that you had a specific expertise as a federal pro- former federal prosecutor, and you started informing people about the Russian investigation, the, the uh, Mueller investigation, a lot of things that are Trump, uh, and it kind of it exploded. So it's a wonderful path that you're on, I think. Well, thanks. I have to say, it, it, it's definitely not what you're supposed to conventionally do as a lawyer. Uh, most of my former colleagues uh, who were the federal prosecutors with me think I'm crazy uh, for doing this uh, because you're really not supposed to take positions that might uh, scare off clients or, or things like that. Um, but that wasn't my goal. My goal, like you said, was there was a lot of confusion, a lot of people had questions. Uh, about what was going on, and suddenly there was a criminal investigation of the President of the United States. People needed answers, and so I felt compelled to answer their questions, and I was really concerned myself 
about what was going to happen to our country. It was early 2017. We just had this crazy guy get elected, and he was firing the FBI director, and, you know, uh, it looked like he was obstructing justice. I was very concerned, uh, and I have only grown more concerned since that time. So uh, nothing's changed there. Well, let, before we continue our conversation on some of the topics I want to hit, since we're talking about Trump, I know that we have a listener who's been on hold who wanted to discuss uh, Donald Trump. Here's a Dave from Hoffman Estates. Hey, Dave, you're on with me and Renato Mariotti. What's on your mind? Yeah, Patty, uh, congratulations, too, on uh, the first inaugural uh, PV, uh, too. <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited. Uh, I, Renato, Patty, I read and I've seen now where Trump blew off this January 6th committee's deadline for the deposition. Now, You know, yep. why you know, the, the committee itself can't really do nothing too much. It'll just hand off to the DOJ, DOJ rather, and uh, the materials and stuff. But, by the way... Uh, Merrick Garland now, it's the election's over now. That was the excuse before. You didn't want to do nothing, you know, because the election's going on. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, now it's like, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. It's kind of like, you know, the, all of these guys, why don't you got money? They seem to be able to keep dodging and going on. You know, like uh, Bannon, he was already convicted and whatnot. He's supposed to be doing time. And now he's just doing a podcast and stuff like that. And But, uh, right. Well, it's got to, I can imagine, I know how frustrating that is for people. Here's what I would say. I think prosecuting somebody like Trump is more complicated than people on Twitter make it sound or like it sounds on Facebook or on MSNBC. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, I do think that Mr. Uh, Mr. Garland, Attorney General Garland, uh, is gearing up, actually, to indict Trump really for the first time ever. I'm pretty convinced of that. Um, I do think it's very possible that that is going to happen after the um, Georgia election. I think that's, if I was going to guess, as to what a timing might be. I do think he's going to pursue that very carefully, and I wouldn't be surprised if he appoints a special counsel. But really, for the first time ever, I think it's it's more likely than not that Trump's going to get indicted. I don't agree with a lot of legal analysts who've made it sound like, oh, he's going to always be indicted, and oh, this is no big deal, and there's so much crime going on. Like, I think that was misleading, um, but I don't think it's misleading to say right now that um, Trump has done something so serious and so obviously provable uh, that he's landed himself in a, a lot of hurt. I hope you're I hope you're right, Renato, and then. And then so Patty can get that. I also seen a story where Jamie Raskin had said that uh, the GOP people can uh, uh, majority could install Trump as a uh, speaker of the House. Something that Matt <laughs> Getz talked about before. <laughs> Serious. Well, I, I actually think I mean I'm not a political you know? expert, but right now I think that wouldn't be a bad move uh, for the Democrat. I would probably help the Democrats, right? If uh, Trump was the Formal leader in the House, I mean, it'll be a complete, uh, you know, S, S show, so to speak, right? <laughs> uh, uh, it would be a disaster, and you might even get uh, a couple of Republicans to defect and, and have somebody else become the speaker. So I think, I don't think that's going to happen. It seems like Trump's star is fading a little bit. I don't know. We'll see. But I, uh, I think as a legal expert, what I could say is uh, I wouldn't look to the January 6th committee um, you know, to be the source of any problems. But I do think this document case in Mar-a-Lago 
uh, is very different than a lot of the other trouble that Trump has been in. Yeah. Well, I know Jenny Raskin is a very sharp, you know, constitutional guy, so he might be doing a play there, too. So anyway, well, let me clear mm-hmm. off. Great talking to you, Renato and Patty. Thank you, Dave. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. Uh, and, and Renato, uh, you rarely say have said over the last few years that uh, you thought that Trump was going to be indicted a lot. How much of that really was because uh, he was the the sitting president, would you say? Most of it was not. I mean, I certainly felt when he was a sitting president, yeah, I thought that was an issue. I mean, I think the biggest danger Trump had while he was president was during the Mueller investigation, it sure looked like he obstructed justice. Robert Mueller, you know, laid out a case that he obstructed justice, but declined to say that he had sufficient evidence. He, he, he said in testimony that he had sufficient evidence to indict Trump after he left office, but he was dead. That was really the only spot. And he said it very briefly, but in his report, he didn't say there is sufficient evidence to indict Trump or, and I refer the case to the to Congress or whatever. He didn't really say anything there. Other than that, I felt like most of the other stuff that you heard in the news just there wasn't enough there that we knew public, at least based on what we knew publicly, to convict or to, to be sure about a conviction. Maybe a roll of the dice. Okay, but not anything you could be sure. Of. And, and as you know, whether it's the the papers at at Mar-a-Lago or the continuing investigation into January six, and now, what are your thoughts today on the Supreme Court's decision on the phone records that they have uh, said, that proved could be? Uh, I can't remember the woman's name, but uh, you know, folks are talking about how Jenny Thomas's messages might be a, a part of that evidence. Uh, should first of all, should Clarence Thomas have recused himself not just from this uh, decision, but from all January six related decisions? So regarding recusal, I mean, yeah, I, I think for in terms of the appearance sake, I mean, the fact that we're discussing it means that uh, there's potential appearance of impropriety. And, you know, accordingly, um, you know, my, my uh, you know, I think it would have been wise for, the, to the, for Justice Thomas to recuse himself. I will note that there's no code of ethics that covers the United States Supreme Court. And in fact, the judicial code of ethics explicitly does not cover the United States Supreme Court. And the only ones who get to decide whether they recuse are the justices themselves. So they basically, uh, you know, it's like who watches the watchers, that old phrase, right? Like who don't, I mean, there's no one who sort of uh, polices what they're doing. And, you know, that's, I think, a, a shortcoming in our system. Uh, so, um, but in terms of the decision, I mean, that was regarding text messages from the chairwoman of the Arizona Republican Party. I think should be very interesting. Uh, I really don't understand why Thomas Alito thought there was any question there, but it was, I think, a pretty resounding seven to two majority. Um, and uh, I think th- th- that should be interesting. I think January 6th uh, is in the bucket, though, Patty, of things where I would say, it's really interesting, and it could lead to some problems for Trump, but it's it's more difficult to see and more unlikely that there's charges than in Mar- the Mar-a-Lago case, where I think it's really straightforward, obvious case. And you uh, you tweeted today about his uh, his legal team making a mistake about litigating issues related to his retention of classified material early, before, even before the indictment. Tell us a little bit about that and how it's basically the snake eating itself. Yeah. So from my perspective, 
Um, when I'm, I, you know, since I've been a federal, left being a federal prosecutor, I spent a lot of time representing people who are under investigation. And I am pretty much trying not to take a position on anything until the last possible moment, right? You want to see what the government's cards are, so to speak, before you play your hand, uh, because you don't really know what the government's evidence is. If you take a position where the government ends up saying something that opposes uh, that, that proves that you're wrong. You could be in a bad spot. And so what the what Trump's team did is they filed this lawsuit, had all this litigation, and the special master, and so on. And they said a lot of things in court filings. Uh, and the, the Justice Department has pointed out there's some inherent contradictions in those things. Like they claim, hey, these things are personal records for purposes of the uh, uh, of the Presidential Records Act. So. You know, there's no issue. These aren't government records. But then if they're personal records, um, then there's no executive privilege or, you know, they're basically putting themselves in a box where they they have statements that the Justice Department can use to a judge to say, hey, they what they're saying is not inter- is not internally consistent or, hey, you know, whatever position they, they really want to take once he's been indicted, they can't. They can't necessarily take that position because they've already contradicted. <laughs> it is fascinating to uh, kind of unravel some of the the twisted logic that they're using. Uh, I also wanted to. Well, you know what? Let me uh, take a break here. Do you mind hanging out for another segment? Sure. We're, talk- sure. we're talking to Renato Mariotti. Uh, he is a, a, a brilliant. Can I say brilliant? I don't think I've, I think I need to say brilliant more often because it's so much fun to follow all the different issues that you tackle on Twitter and break it down for us. And that, there's a, a tremendous amount of brilliance to the work that you do, Renato. Uh, so Renato Mariotti is a, a contributor to CNN. He's, you've seen, an, seen him on MSNBC. He's a fill-in host here at WCPT as well and a good friend of mine. And now the podcast host, a co-host with uh, Asha Rangappa, the uh, it, the podcast is called It's Complicated, available, I'm guessing, Renato, everywhere podcasts are available. That's true. Excellent. You guys got to tune in. They're amazing together. More in a moment on Driving It Home with me, Patty Vasquez, on WCPT 820, the Heartland Signal. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. And joining me on the phone is... Former federal prosecutor and political, well, he's a, a, a legal, cons- like, I, there's so many different things. He's a legal analyst and expert on uh, many things involved in our political system right now. And following him on Twitter, you learn about stories that maybe you're like, well, I don't understand this. Like, I don't understand what's going on with this FTX uh, and the, uh, what is it, the free, the Bankman Freed, Mr. Bank Bankman Freed. Tell me about this. I have no idea because this is like the cryptocurrency thing, right? Yeah, so Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, a lot of people uh, call him famous acronyms, you know, was purported to be one of the richest people in the world. Was Some people thought he'd be the world's first trillionaire at some point. Uh, founded uh, one of the largest uh, crypto exchanges, or what was one of the largest crypto exchanges in the world, called FTX, um, and was sort of seen as a visionary. Um, uh, well, um you know, there was suddenly, uh, suddenly everything's falling apart for Mr. Bankman Freed and he's, his company's gone into bankruptcy. Uh, there's, he, he's, uh, supposedly, um, you know, his movements are restricted in the Bahamas where his company is headquartered. He's under DOJ and SEC investigation. And, and basically what happened with this guy, uh, he owned was called, when I say a crypto exchange, it was basically a place where 
you could put your money in and buy and sell crypto. Um, and unfortunately, like what happened was there were some reports that came out that indicated that there wasn't uh, the money that people thought was there wasn't there. So there are supposed to be, you know, many billions of dollars uh, that were supposed that were supposed to be in that exchange. But, you know, when you put your money in the bank and it says FDIC insured, you know that the first, you know, hundreds of thousands of that, that of those dollars are insured by the federal government. That's not the case. Uh, it, when you put your money in a crypto exchange, so there was a run on the crypto exchange, um, and then it, it, it actually what came out was that he had used some of the money, the, the custom of funds for the crypto exchange, with his hedge fund, totally separate company, um, basically you know was using that money, uh, gambling it away on investments, and then uh, as far as the hedge fund com- customers are concerned. Those customers actually, instead of their money being used to invest in, you know, stocks or bonds or other things that might help make some money, it turns out that he actually used that money to buy a special crypto coin that that the FTX company came up with to boost the value of that coin, to like artificially inflate it, and essentially pump money back into the other uh, into the exchange. So it's almost, I wouldn't call it a Ponzi scheme, but definitely uh, if, if all of these allegations that are floating out there are true, it looks like a very big fraud against both the customers of both companies. And this guy keeps going out there and keeps giving interviews and making all sorts of really bizarre, questionable statements um, that uh, make him out to or make him look like one of the biggest uh, potential fraudsters of all time. Wow. And, and I think there was something that uh, someone posted about, uh, you know, the, people are confused about crypto anyway. Right. And yeah. a lot of us also use apps that have have like we exchange money on Venmo or Zelle. And I didn't realize that uh, that these are also not insured by the FDIC. Did you know that like Zelle and Venmo? I didn't know that. Yeah. And if your bank, you know, also, you know, people, one thing to remember, too, they're also not protected like the way that credit cards are. In other words, you know, private companies, Visa or MasterCard, if you use your Visa card, right, the, there's an agreement where they'll 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 take care of it, right? If you get if you lose that money or you get defrauded, that was not that way. Um, and with crypto, I mean, some cryptocurrencies don't really have, and they're not tied to any underlying value, and so and there's or there's no reason or purpose for them, and so they're just like baseball cards or you know, Beanie Babies or anything else where if people decide they don't like uh, baseball cards anymore, the value of them goes down. Um, you know, I, I will say for this this particular uh, token that uh, FTX issued, basically the way that that had value is they said, if you want to use our exchange, you have to pay all the fees in this particular token. So it had a certain value to FTX. Uh, the problem is for, uh, for Mr. Pankman Freed is that then that makes it even more questionable that his other company was using customer funds to um, 
you know, to uh, purchase this particular token, right? It looks like he's lying in his own pocket. Very concerning. Yeah. Oh, no, entirely concerning. And and here's the thing. We have access to so much uh, information and the way people put it out there. We're seeing more and more how it affects uh, not just shareholder value or uh, the price of things. But, I mean, what happened with Eli Lilly? Is that what the the pharmaceutical company that people – because people started creating – fake accounts because mm-hmm. if you could just buy eight for eight dollars you could get a blue check and you know whether people paid attention that you know elon musk tried to say well you know you have to say that your satire account tell us a little bit about how this is all uh unfolding too yeah that's a that's a really great question because elon musk taking over twitter if i don't if you are on twitter you probably notice he he seems like a right wing troll. Like he always amplifies these like right these like right wing memes and you know re, you know you know Republican talking points things like that. But he's also really in a short period of time done a lot of damage to Twitter. He's fired a lot of employees, and as you pointed out, you know these blue check marks were basically something that Twitter gave to public figures to indicate that they are who they said they are. So this is the real Mariah Carey, the real Taylor Swift. The real Eli Lilly, to use your example, and and what ended up happening uh, was what Miss, uh, Mr. Uh, Musk had his, a bright idea that what he was going to do is say everyone could have a check mark if they paid eight bucks. Everyone could get their own blue check mark. So what happened was people were creating all sorts of fake accounts called Elon Musk or. I had guys follow me. George Washington with a big blue check mark followed me, or you know whomever. Uh, suddenly, all these 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 fake accounts went up, and they tried to fool people, and they did a pretty good job because traditionally that blue check mark was a verification of their status. And so, in a very short period of time, Elon Musk managed to sort of take down a lot of the value that people have from Twitter. Because really what Twitter sells, in my mind, is access to all these public figures where you can actually have conversations with them in real time and and have a direct conversation. I think that's something that you couldn't always get everywhere else. It is. It is fascinating to watch. I mean, my husband, I, I, I keep just bursting out and laughing with some of these accounts. But it's, you know, real people are it, it makes folks vulnerable too to the this sort of scam, not scams, but, you know, to take somebody down in this arbitrary way sometimes just to prove a point is is a little bit it's somewhat funny sometimes. And then other times it's uh, terrifying is all I can say. Well, yeah, I got to say, so another, talking about reckless, we talked about Bankman Freed a moment ago. You know, Elon Musk, super rich guy, maybe the richest guy in the world. I don't know if he is anymore, but, you know, his company is um, the subject of an FTC consent decree, which is essentially there was problems that Twitter had back, I think, in 2011, where they entered into an agreement with the government that said, look, we're agreeing to essentially ongoing monitoring of our activity by the FTC. And before they made any changes to Twitter that could impact privacy or security, they had they they are required by court order to give 30 days notice to the FTC. Well, all these changes that Musk has been making, he's not been giving FTC notice. He hasn't been complying. Actually, because of his changes, the chief compliance officer, the chief privacy officer, the chief information security officer, all quit. And so... 
Um, Musk, I think, is in a world of hurt because the FTC has already taken notice and they're taking action. And if you haven't paid attention, he's actually been trolling uh, a lot of lawmakers. He was trolling Ned Markey, uh, senator from Massachusetts recently. And uh, I mean, I think he thinks this is funny, but it's, it's really a very, a very silly way to go about uh, uh, conducting yourself when you are um, openly flouting uh, FTC uh, consent decree. Ugh, it's a lot going on. Sometimes I feel like I'm overwhelmed by the amount of information. And of course, in the the week uh, following the election last Tuesday, uh, there's a couple things that I, I wish we could get to. But I want to first ask you about the January 6th committee and what what you see going forward with this sort of the layout of the land in the House and the Senate. Yeah. So one thing I will say, you know, no matter what happens with the and I I recognize that we still don't know for sure who's going to control Congress. No matter what happens, we have a new Congress that's going to take over in January. That's just the reality of things. So right now, the January 6th committee subpoena is valid. But that's that's it goes. The January 6th committee goes poof in January. There's no more January 6th committee. It's, many of its members are not going to be members are not going to be members of Congress anymore, uh, including both of its Republican members. And, and so, accordingly, what happens going forward is really going to depend on who's in control of Congress and whether they want to pursue that matter. And, and I think them, even if Democrats hold a very slim majority, they may decide that the committee's work's done or that not worth trying to get Trump's testimony or that Trump is going to take the fifth anyways because he's already been indicted or whatever the issue might be. So I think it's an open question. Uh, I don't expect Trump to ever uh, appear before Congress. Um, And if we have a very slim Republican majority, um, you know, obviously they're not going to be carrying forward and issuing more subpoenas to the former president. It was so much fun to watch, though. It was good television, is all I'm saying. And, and that was I'm, great. And it may have influenced in, in the midterms, right? It might be the reason the Republican, one, one reason why the Republicans didn't do so well. It's just great to have all that on the record. Uh, it, it's there. It's it's undeniable. So I appreciate that, uh, the work that they've done. And I appreciate you, Renato. Renato Mariotti. You can follow on Twitter, Renato Mariotti, and also his new podcast, It's Complicated with Asher and Gapa. Do, do you know how often you'll be doing it? I know it's like, you know, one of those things where, uh, you know, when stories, sometimes it's a story that grabs your attention. We're like, we got to get on now. Do you have a, a schedule for it? Well, it's going to be easier. I'm going to try to do it every week with Asha, and it's easier. I don't need guests. That's part of the, the value yes. of the format change. One of the hard parts of my podcast, as you know, is like finding gas, finding a time to work for the gas, getting everything to line up just right. Uh, whereas now I'm going to be recording every week with Asha, and it just makes it a lot easier. And your logo so is your logo is fantastic. It's just got a cool, like, kind of retro vibe to it, too. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Look forward to having you back, my friend. If you'll join us, I would love it. Uh, my best to your family. Have a great night. Let's uh, take a break here. We'll come back. We're going to have Scott Stantis on the line. Roosevelt, I'll take a call. If you want to call and join our conversation, 773-763-9278 is the number to call. More in a moment on WCPT 820. So we're driving it home till 7 on the Heartland Signal. 
WCPT Replay. It's not like Joe Biden, his election is what triggered a Russian invasion. Think about Donald Trump. The reason he was impeached the first time is because he withheld security assistance from Zelensky and Ukraine. He talked about wanting to break up NATO. He softened the ground. When it comes to unemployment, I mean, Donald Trump inherited record low unemployment. Right now, at the very least, we're seeing people with the ability to leave their jobs and to go find new ones. A long first time in a long time that we've seen benefit on the labor side for people to have some flexibility in work. And we're seeing some record unionization happening across the country. When you have a Democrat in power, the NLRB is going to make sure that those elections are actually fair and that people can unionize. Inflation, we are coming out of a pandemic that strained our supply chain. Donald Trump's the only president who lost jobs under his watch. It was a historic level of job loss because of the pandemic. Keep listening to WCPT 820. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Basket on WCPT 820. And now we're driving it home until 7 as we enter our second hour of Driving It Home with your host, me, Patty Vasquez. And thank you to listeners who are texting in uh, lovely photos. Thank you, Mirna, for the uh, champagne glasses. Uh, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to take those champagne glass uh, picture and uh, toast my friend, Scott Stantis, cartoonist for the Chicago Tribune, as well as uh, other outlets that he'll tell us about because I'm terrible at keeping everything in my head, Scott, as you know. Hi, Scott. <laughs> this is so exciting. Hey. Hi. <laughs> This is the first time in a long, long, long time that we've been together on the air. This is great. Yes. Well, because I, I try to keep the phone lines for calls. And I, like sometimes I schedule no guests because I don't want to leave people on the line too long. Like I am with Roosevelt, who we're going to get to in just a moment, uh, calling from Chicago. And so I, I, I wanted to, oh, you know, the suggestion was, you know, listeners want to have a conversation, uh, leave the phone lines open. So I would schedule some guests. But with you and Renato and Senator Katowski, like I find that I want to keep talking, and uh, and then I would end my show like over like time, and so now I have time to slow down and take a breath and check in with you. How are you doing, Scott? I am doing great. I just heard you do the traffic. I just love the way that you kind of like lower your voice too. Like, <laughs> Kennedy. I'm like going, wow. <laughs> well, that's from growing up in Chicago, right? Like, I know. Well, it's so funny because as a kid, like, I, we didn't have, like, the old post office as a, as a designation or or maybe we did just the post office. I, don't, I always remember, like, the Hubbard's Cave. You know who told me how to, to do, do some of it was Esmeralda Leon. So hmm. that's helpful. Is that right? Oh, well. Yes. Well, because you make it seem like, you know what, it's like something to look forward to. You're saying, there's a two-hour delay on the Eisenhower. I'm going, that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Say Eisenhower again. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Say Ike. I feel better, but I feel good about doing the traffic now. I'll be excited. Hopefully, there are people that are also excited to hear how long it takes to get from the, the wherever I'm telling them to go. <laughs> oh, holy Mary. I mean, that's, yeah. I told you when they started the uh, Jane Byrne exchange, yes. Fixer Upper, and they said, hey, 10, it's going to be 10 months, you know, fun and done. And, and you and I both said, that is such total BS. There it is. Uh, <laughs> and that there's no way because it's Chicago. It's going to come in five years yeah. overdue. It's going to be $150 million or more over budget. You know, that's just how we roll in uh, Chicagoland. 
it is. It is. Well, and and Scott used to live here in Chicago and is now uh, in residence in Alabama at his uh, beautiful home where he has a pool and his lovely wife, Janine. I thought I should put the pool ahead of Janine. I apologize. I, 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 I've seen your pool when we do our whiskey and a cookie on Friday nights uh, on our, our wonderful show that we do together. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, what's the temperature of uh, uh, Alabamians uh, in the, I mean, obviously Alabama still very red, uh, but is there a sense of how things have uh, shaken out over the last few days that people are reacting to? Yeah, locally in, in the state, it's still an extremely red state. You know, it's uh, it's so funny. I came here in 1996 when I started at the Birmingham News. And it was a Democratic state. I mean, just blue as blue gets. And uh, over a short period of time, they all went Republican, so now it's red as red gets. How is it viewing the national stuff? I mean, I, a friend of mine who's a talk radio host up in Nashville, uh, let's call him Matt, because as my friend Taylor would say, that's his name. Uh, but Matt today posted, you know, oh, sure, they're counting slowly. And now you notice that the Democrats are winning. Huh? Coincidence? I don't think so. Oh. You know what? Shut, yep. shut up. Just shut up. It's making me, you and I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a conservative guy. I have been. Uh, I don't think I'm a Republican anymore because apparently they've lost their minds. But. You know my politics, but this is drive Patty. It's making me so angry and so hurt that that an idea in a party that I subscribed to because they had some you know intelligence behind what they believed. Well, that's all gone. Now it's I want this to be true. I want voter fraud to be tr- to be to be true. But and hence, well, it is. Well, no. What are they? Seven? I mean, <laughs> we, you've had to this. All the seven-year-olds listening. I'm sorry. I know. Well, you have had this existential crisis for several years, uh, almost as long as we've known each other, uh, because you, you know when Trump was running, you and I uh, had these arguments. That are, well, yeah, we would say arguments because I told you he was going to win. And we kept having yeah, bets. You did. Yeah. yeah, you did. Yeah. Yes, yes you did. <laughs> you kept winning. What? Damn you. Well, it, well, you know, Dave Chappelle, you know, love him or hate him, he had this uh, point about how there were, um, you know, Trump said something in the first debate about how, you know, look, if you want me to pay my fair share of taxes, change the code. Because, yeah, otherwise I'm going to game the system. And white people were like, oh, see, they do do that. And he's saying that they do that. And, and he's, he's saying something that nobody else has ever said. And I'm like, how is that appealing? I'm ripping you off. So suck it was basically what he said. And they liked it. Yeah, I don't know. I, to this day, I can't understand how people vote against their own interests. Yeah. And in this case, you know, you have people. I mean, you see, Jimmy and I, my wife and I just had this massive road trip. We went up to Chicago, went to Wisconsin, drove over to, ended up spending a night in Toledo. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, she saw a picture of Toledo by the river and it looked really quaint. It wasn't. Mm. So anyway, mm. Toledo Anyway, so a great swatch of this country. And you saw these Trump flags and you saw them over these hovels, these like mobile homes that were falling apart and just these obviously people living in grinding poverty. And I'm thinking, why? Why would you support this guy who's clearly in it? Not for those people, not for the middle class, but for, you know, for the, for the wealthy, for himself. Um, I, to this day, and you and I talked about, and like, as, as you mentioned, you and I have talked about this a lot. And you were right. We had bet after bet after bet because I was convinced 
There is no way. He's, on the, he's, he's taking that stupid elevator ride. There's no way he's going anywhere. You said, oh, contraire, mon frere, which I don't think he's. <laughs> no, I did not. I French. <laughs> no, no I, I had seen a lot of hateful things, and I thought, this guy's capturing their imagination. Uh, as we continue to see the results of elections across the, the, the country, uh, folks are speculating about, of course, the House. And the, the, the Dems hold on narrowly to, with the majority in the Senate. Uh, Roosevelt wants to join us, if you don't mind, because uh, Roosevelt's one Absolutely. of our regular listeners. What do you want to say about, about what's happening today, Roosevelt? What's your thoughts? First of all, I want to congratulate you on your new show. Thank you. Okay? So, best of luck. Thank you. Deserve you. It. Appreciate it. And, and, uh, and the best for your, your show. Um, now, I wanted to make a couple of comments and actually like a question or two. Simple questions. Uh, first of all, <laughs> were you, or who, you know, all your guests or whoever's there, I don't know if uh, Renato was there anymore, but... Uh, were you as surprised as I was that there wasn't more violence? I expected a lot of intimidation, violence, you know, people being threatened at the uh, at the um, at uh, voting locations. Yeah, at the locations, voting locations, voting locations, because uh, that was the prediction, and that uh, supposedly there were going to be a lot of intimidations and. And things like that. And and the second part of the same question is, were you surprised also there wasn't a lot of crying as far as the Republican Party when it came down to because they lost most of the people that uh, Trump supported lost. So I expected all those people that lost that were supported by Trump had instructions on saying you guys cheated, with the exception of the, the wackos there in uh, where is it Nevada, the one that's running for governor. Blake. Yep. Yeah, so uh, I was very surprised. I was very surprised. I thought that there was going to be a lot more crying, and you know the whole the whole plan of uh, uh, saying they stole my election. I'm going to recount or whatever. Yeah, Scott, what do you? Th- I mean, were, were you surprised, Scott? I was going to say, can I? Yeah, Roosevelt. I just want to say it ain't over yet. By the way, don't forget the orange thing is going to make a he's going to make a big announcement tomorrow. Now. Part of that announcement is probably that he's running for for the presidency for the third time. Uh, And the other announcement, I think part of that is definitely going to be my my, my candidates lost. They didn't lose. They were cheated out of this election again. We really have to buckle down. And he's going to incite them again. I guarantee it. I would bet my house on this. And so – my, I guess my answer to you shortly is again, it, it ain't over. And it, mm. it, the, the, the count in Arizona continues. The counts across the country continue. We obviously still have the runoff in Georgia. Um, you know, and you're going to have this guy now who's going to have rally after rally after rally after rally, and he's going to incite that kind of violence, and that scares the hell out of me. I'm, I'm with you, and because I mean, January 6th, that's just you know, that's going to be his mo going forward. I I kind of agree. I mean, one of the things is that before January 6th, I had a lot of conservatives that I was following on Twitter just to get a pulse of what was going on. And there were people I was following that were like, there's going to be blood in the streets leading up to January 6th. People who are going to D.C. And I saw a lot of that. They're kind of gone off of Twitter. I don't know if they're on Parler or whatever the other things are. Uh, But uh, I am not seeing it as much, but I'm not on the ground as much. And I'm I'm a lot busier than I was. And And Scott was just talking about how there are 
are people saying, oh, isn't it convenient that it's slow now and these votes are, you know, they're now the Democrats are winning that I think that's the part that is alarming and could point towards what you're talking about, Roosevelt. Yeah, I, I would say that we should definitely be concerned and I'm curious to see what's going to happen tomorrow. And if I could just add yeah. real quickly that you're right about not seeing much of it right on the heels of that election. But the last 24 36 hours, it's definitely on the ascent, that, that thinking. It is. Oh, boy. I mean, on the right. On the right, yeah. Yeah. Say, Roosevelt, uh, what was your – I know you wanted to talk about uh, – did you want to talk about the Senate and Nancy Pelosi as well? Well, I just feel bad for Nancy. I mean, uh, she's gone through a lot of situations with the, with the – with her husband being attacked, and, and I, personally, I believe that uh, she was gonna, you know, retire. Uh, even if, we, if the Democrats win the House, or you know, in my opinion. Um, but um, also, I wanted to talk about um, the red wave. Yesterday, I got into another station, a Spanish station, a, a, a discussion with two gentlemen that are stone cold Trump supporters. And they're just spewing all this garbage. I had to call. So I called twice, and they let me in. And for the first time, I never heard this show before. And the one thing that they were saying was that the red wave was created by the Democrats so that they would, so that Republicans wouldn't come out and vote. And I gave them a specific <laughs> date. I gave them, I gave them, Scott, I gave them a specific date. I gave them uh, uh, two dates, as a matter of fact, when... All of, uh, I would say, the majority, I wouldn't say all, uh, of the pundits on, on uh, Fox News. Um, as a matter of fact, Geraldo uh, Rivera made a $1,000 bet on the air on that, pro- that show that they had, The Five, and uh, Perot, uh, and uh, I believe the guy's name is Jesse Waters, took him up on it. So, you know, they said that there was going to be a red wave that um, – that they were going to sweep the Congress, uh, Senate, and, and the House. So, you know, so these guys, so then I called back and told them that, and they said, well, yeah, but the, the Democrats uh, repeated it. I go, they're repeating something that you guys, you guys said that they created, that the Democrats created the, the, the rumor of the red wave. I go, it wasn't created. It was repeated, repeated by most of the pundits on uh, Fox News. And, and if you go on the Internet, you can find that yourself. So that's all I wanted to say. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, I I don't listen anymore. Like, well, Scott, you one, you're surrounded by a lot more right wing talk. <laughs> and, yeah, and and I mean, you yeah. know, I I just don't seek it out anymore. I mean, I used to check in with uh, the other stations, and I just I can't anymore. Uh, you know, look, I became kind of an activist radio host. I, I never considered myself uh, a journalist because I think you need to be trained in, in journalism. It's a, it's a field of study, and I've always been a commentator, and that was kind of one of the problems I had at my former station was that the station manager kept saying, no, you're a journalist. And, and it caused a lot of problems. But then seeing someone like Amy Jacobson in press conferences who clearly had an agenda was troublesome. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. No question. No question at all. I mean, I mean uh, yeah. Um, they, I mean, Fox News, which used to have a decent reputation, if you remember years ago, it had a news, a real newsroom. It was a real news station. The evening programming was all the, you know, the yapping commentators that MSNBC and uh, had and that, that Fox has and all the others. But the daytime in the newsroom was pretty solid. Well, that's gone. So now we're looking at, you know, uh, the facts. And facts are fluid, as Roosevelt pointed out. You know, this was made by the Democrats. Well, 
horse feathers. Of course it was. <laughs> of course it wasn't. This was set up, and the Republicans were crowing before it all happened. And uh, frankly, I'm, I fell for it as well. Um, I got to stop predicting things. I think that's, that's what's okay. You speculate. You speculate. <laughs> that's all. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, 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 real quick, and also very briefly, Roosevelt talked about Nancy Pelosi, and she has had a difficult year. And again, my heart goes out to her, her family, especially her husband. I hope he recovers well. Um, but she's also, I mean, it's time for her to step down. I think it's time for the Democrats and the Republicans to start having new leadership come to the fore. And, you know, Nancy Pelosi has had a great run, um, a historic run, first woman speaker of the House. Uh, but now it's time, and this isn't this isn't political. This is just it's time to because look at look at what we could have coming into for election, Patty. You could have President Biden, who will be eighty one if he runs again, right? And you have Donald Trump, who will be seventy eight or seventy. I mean, that's crazy. And I'm old. And I'm, <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Like, um, I aspire to keep doing things into my seventies and eighties. I, I I think it's different for every, everybody. Uh, I, I haven't I struggle with this because, I mean, look, we have Supreme Court justices that serve all the way into their 90s, uh, continuing to make an yeah. incredible impact on our country and on our future. So it's hard to say. I mean, like the, we don't have any sort of testing for uh, who should continue. I've got to take a break here and we come back. I want to take a couple more phone calls and uh, and I'm going to keep you as long as you let me, Scott. So <laughs> sure. Okay. Awesome. Oh, this is so much fun. God, I, I miss you. I miss you too. I miss you too. Look, we're doing uh, we're doing hugs from afar. Uh, Scott Santos joins us. He's a political <laughs> cartoonist and uh, one of my favorite humans on the planet. Uh, where should folks find your work? Before we go to the break, let them know where to find you so they can. Yeah, you can go to chicagotribune.com slash opinion and go look at the gallery of the work I do for them, or go to gocomics.com slash Scott Stantis and you can see a gallery of my national work. Outstanding. You can also go to DallasNews.com, which I work for them, and I also do eighteen nineteen news, but just Chicago Tribune. See Chicago stuff. You know, you know, to say you know a guy. You got a guy. I got a Scott's my guy. <laughs> More, got, a guy. got a guy. More in a moment on WCPT eight twenty. We're driving it home till seven. I'm your host Patty Vasquez on the Heartland Signal. Chicago's Progressive Talk WCPT eight twenty, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. And joining me on the air is the political cartoonist with Chicago Tribune and other outlets is Scott Stantis uh, talking to us from Alabama. Uh, We we also uh, we're going to we are are grateful to our sponsor, Monaco Brewery, and we want to thank Uptown Provisions for Provisions Uptown for their incredible uh, a tasting event that they had on Friday with Kirk Bankshead and, of course, Jerry Walski. We've got some great photos from that. Uh, before we uh, continue our conversation, I want to check in with our friend uh, Eddie from Joliet. Hey, Eddie. How are you doing today? Eddie? Oh, my gosh. Hi, my friend. Hi. I miss you. Oh. You know, I was just going, I changed phones, and I realized you sent me a photo from a few years ago in Springfield. Thank you for that, and I'm so sorry about your loss, my oh. friend. Oh, my God. My my dear friend, my right arm, Richard Martin, passed away on September 25th. And, gosh, that picture I sent of you, we were sitting in that House committee for like four hours yep. during the Rauner years. Ugh. And uh, um, he, he passed away suddenly. And uh, 
we're, we're going to be having a celebration of life for him on December 3rd. Oh. He worked for the, the Associated Firefighters for 17 years and worked for the Murfreesboro Fire Department for 32 years. Uh, so. Scott, Scott and Eddie, it's always lovely to have two of my, two of my favorite people uh, together. So you guys are uh, Eddie ha- and uh, and his friends, many of his uh, cohorts have been champions and warriors for workers' rights in the state of Illinois. Uh, while they work for the firefighters, they also make sure that those rights expand to those uh, who really show up every single day doing jobs uh, and deserve better lives. So uh, Eddie, uh, I appreciate that, and again, uh, it's very kind of you to call um, and send. Send me information about that event on the 3rd, will you? Oh, I will. I definitely will, yes. Uh, um, it's been devastating for the family, and uh, uh, we look forward to celebrating Richard's life on December 3rd. But uh, um, I just wanted to call and congratulate you. Finally, I can get through because an hour goes by so quick. <laughs> it does, so, yes. <laughs> and I think I recall Scott, um, if uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think I remember when I I spent 24 years in Springfield, and I thought I saw Scott's uh, uh, stuff in uh, the uh, Springfield State Journal Register. Uh, maybe, maybe we syndicated. Yeah, remember yeah. those for the kids out there. That's ink on paper. Just, uh, <laughs> just oh my god, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, we used to go to. Yeah, we used to go to Sunrise Cafe every morning, and I would see your stuff in the paper while we were having breakfast. So, Yeah, well, I'm with the Chicago Tribune, and so I was there. Hey, Eddie, actually, I'm glad I... Patty, can I ask Eddie a question? Of course, please do. Sure. A friend of mine works for the railroad down here, and he's been keeping me up on what's going on. And for those of you out there who are unfamiliar, they're about to strike. They've been, they are treated like, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, crap. <laughs> they don't, they yeah. don't have, uh, they don't have paid uh, time off for uh, sick days. The scheduling is bizarre. You literally can go a month without having a, a day off. And it's so it's hard work. But they're about to vote again to strike. Now, you guys, are you involved in that in any way? And do you have any, any, opinion on what's about to happen, because this is going to be a big story. Well, to be perfectly honest, I've been retired from politics for the last two years, but I I keep my ear to the grindstone, and there's multiple unions that are involved in this, and and a a few weeks ago, they thought they had an agreement, but now it has to be a unanimous decision of all the unions, so I do not know... And I, I don't have any intimate knowledge. Uh, okay. I'm just going to say what happened was the, the, the Biden administration said, okay, what we're going to do, and they got all the parties together, and the, the, the railroad industry said, okay, we'll give them a, we'll give them a raise. And, and so the Biden administration thought, well, that's great. Here you guys go. And the workers, the railroad workers, are saying, no, not good. that's not what we want. Money's nice. Money's good. They pay their mortgages with money. But they want more humane working conditions and and work and scheduling, and that's what this is. The problem is they also come under a, a, a federal law where if they strike, the federal government can tell them you can't do that. Go back to work, and that's where things are going to get real interesting and could get very ugly. Oh boy. Um, yeah, I don't think we're so going to uh, Ronald Reagan again, where he broke a union. But I, I no. believe uh, no. under President Biden, he's going to put all the parties together and hopefully we'll have a, a better outcome. I'm not sure Joe Biden, I, and this is uh, President Biden, I'm not 
sure that he has any option, given what's happening with inflation. And this is a direct, this will have an obvious impact on supply chain issues, uh, that he has any other option that he but to order the the workers back to work. And I know that he's been very pro-union, but so was Harry Truman. And he ordered the miners back to work. You know, Um, it's this is going to get this is going to be. Very interesting. If you believe in workers' rights, and I think they, I do, in the private industry, I absolutely do. That these I've guys my have, whole life for workers' rights, but I claim ignorance on this one. So I am, I am retired, and uh, and uh, uh, Eddie, will, I'm just so proud of you. I Aww. pray for you and your family every day. Thank you. I will. And, I will uh, try to give I, an update. It's been. Someone asked me today about Declan too, and I, I'll try to figure out a way to do an update. Yeah. But it's it's been very hard, and and I don't want to be a blubbering mess. He's 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 happy and safe. Uh, just we're losing a little bit of ground uh, more than we would like to on that. So I'm always grateful oh, no. for. I know. I I I'll try to give. I'll, yeah. And I'll send I'll send you the information on Richard. But yes, uh, I, I just I want to just say God bless you. Congratulations on your new show, and God bless all my firefighters out there. Thank you. I love you. you still, and I always will. I love you as well, Eddie. Have a great evening. I'll talk to you again soon and all look right. forward to seeing you. Thank you. Bye, night. Take Goodbye, care. My Have, friend. Bye, my friend. Uh, let's take a break here, Scott. You good for another uh, another couple segments or so? Sure. What the hell? What the <laughs> the sound of that. We've got Steve uh, on hold and Scott Stantis is my guest, the political cartoonist for the Chicago Tribune. Uh, We'll talk more with him when we come back in just a moment on Driving It Home Till 7 with me, Patty Vasquez. Listen to the Tom Hartman radio program every weekday from 11 to 2 right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Now available at Arminetti Wine and Spirits in Woodstock, Illinois, and Famous Liquors in Lombard, as well as in Chicago at A&S Wine and Spirits, Back of the Yards, and Grand and Western Liquors, Ukrainian Village. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. I am so excited to have my friend Scott Stantis on the phone with me. I uh, called him last. I was like, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. I'm, this whole two hours, and uh, you've made this so much fun. I'm so happy to be on for two hours now. It's uh, it's it's not quite the beautiful uh, fun that we had in the middle of the night. Uh, but there was so much stress that went along with that for a variety of reasons. I was thinking about this the other day, Scott. You know, one of the things that I butted heads with uh, with folks was that I wanted to be able to be labeled as producer of my show. And I got a lot of pushback mm-hmm. on that, even though I was doing a, a lot of the booking on the show. Not all of it. But uh, I remember the thing was like, well, hosts can't be uh, can't be producers. Right. Only it occurred to me the other day. And the argument I never made was that all of my producers wanted to be on air talent and they all had podcasts. At either at the student station or have now have since had have their own shows, and so they, they I just realized it the day like they didn't have which is fine, but they were sabotaging the show that I was doing in order 
order to get to their goal. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love that. Well, maybe their point was that talent can't be producers, but by gum, producers can be talent. Which is fine. No yeah. irony or, or or contradiction there at all. It was. Oh, wait. I, it just, I mean, like, because it, it was so stressful for so long. I don't know how that didn't pop into my head until, like, Friday. <laughs> Like, like three years it's later. PTSD. I know it was well, on top of everything else. Yeah. I anyway. Uh, we are joined by Scott by Santos. Way, yes. Go ahead. We, on our last segment, where we talked to uh, Roosevelt, um, just to tell you how this crap is starting to pop up now. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas is calling for investigation into Harris County election because there are some there's some equipment and supply issues that kind of made people wait a little longer. Is it because a Democrat won? <laughs> Uh, guess what Harris County is in Texas? It's rare. It's, the, it's a county around um, around Houston. And guess what they elect? Hmm. Democrats. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. He's not calling for, 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 for investigation into counties where Republicans won. No. So, no. so this, is not, this is going to start. This is going to be this grind going forward. And um, so be ready, kids, because here it comes. Well, consider uh, on that note, let's get to Steve from the Gold Coast, who's been on hold for a little bit. Thank you for your patience. Steve, what's on your mind? Yes, a couple of points. And um, there, there certainly will be a few people who make that sort of noise with regard to claims of election fraud and that sort of thing. But it, it seems to be a fairly small number at this point. Uh, even uh, Republicans, diehard uh, election deniers in, in terms of the 2020 election, um, are pretty much accepting of, of what happened uh, last Tuesday. So um, that, that's a good point. And, and I would say that, though I agree that uh, Trumpism certainly isn't dead, um, but after three successive uh, succession uh, cycles in which in 2018, 2020, and 2022, it has been dealt certainly a blow. And, for, and I think now you're starting to see people come forward openly and start discussing the possibility that, you know, there's, there's an alternative to Donald Trump, that there's somebody else who could head this party, that there's somebody else who could beat the nominee uh, in 2024. So you're starting to see a, a crack in, in that sort of entity that was Trumpism that you didn't see after 2020 because people still coalesced around him because he controlled the base. But at this point, um, you know, there are a lot of people who are quite silent on this. That's what that's what uh, people need to take away from this is not so much that um, that people are turning against him openly. There are some who are within the Republican Party, but there's a, there's just a deafening silence of people who were once supporters who are now sort of waiting to see which way the wind is going to blow. In light of the fact that not only did Republicans not get the victories that they were hoping for, but specifically the ones that tended to lose were Trump candidates. Yeah, yeah, no question about that. But the, but the thing is, Steve, I got to tell you, I mean, this guy is going to declare victory. He's going to declare a mandate tomorrow, and he said, and he's going to go forward with this campaign. But, you know, reality is really doesn't play a hell of a lot. In, in, in the world of Donald Trump or MAGA world. And the fact of the matter is, as he's, he, he's going to say, don't forget what he said before the election. He said, if the, the, the candidates who win, I help them win. The ones I endorse to lose, it's their own fault. Yeah. Yeah. He can be divorced from reality. He can be as divorced from reality as he likes, but the, but the thing that is that he is no longer president. And, and the, the, the best favor that he could do for us as Democrats is to run again and get the nomination because he's beatable. I mean, nothing in the last two years has transpired in America to sort of you know, revitalize Donald Trump's image. 
So, you know, given how the defeat he suffered in the Electoral College, given the defeat he suffered in terms of the popular vote, he is the best thing in the world. I mean, on, on what planet is he going to do better in 2024 than he did in 2020? No, he's the best thing. The worst thing for us is someone like a Yunkin or, or Ron DeSantis or someone else that's, that's considered more reasonable, not a complete idiot, isn't tweeting with 14-year-olds, you know, engaged in battles with them at 2 in the morning. Yeah, that, that's our worst nightmare. Ask Patty. Patty was dead in, in 2016. She was about as dead on as any pundit I've ever talked to. So, Patty, what's your take? Well, I think I mean, it is I think that uh, Steve's got a point there. there it's so much more fractured now. And I think that so many more of the loonies. It's one thing for Trump to be a lunatic. It's another thing to see all these people yelling at school boards and, uh, you know, attacking people of color or people who uh, love who they want to love or dress the way they want to dress or use a different bathroom. Like it got it got insane. And I know that it works in some places, but other places pe- people are like, this is OK. This is a little too much. Or seeing Herschel Walker, as people are pointing out on uh, on my on my uh, the Facebook live feed, he said that, uh, you know, America is the greatest country in the U.S. You know, things like that. <laughs> Uh, I would challenge you to, to deny that. That <laughs> still can trump the uh, the evolution quote. That that still tops my list for all time Herschel Walker quotes. Oh no! What about what about the bear, bad air in China? Like they send their bad air. I mean, there's so many to pick from. There's so much. There's so much there. And and, and uh, for people who think that, that it's over with regard to the Senate, keep in mind that if we can secure 51 seats, it means a lot with regard to judicial confirmations, and it also means a lot in terms of committee assignments. Because a 50-50 split means that you divide power, and then if there's a vote, then the vice president decides it. But in terms of committee assignments, if we can get that crucial last seat, that means we get to run everything. Yeah, I I, uh, I don't know. And I, and I know for, you know, I, I'm going to bring in some experts about the uh, the science of politics and why we need each other. We just don't need the kind of I look, we don't need the kind of Republicans and, and as Scott as a uh, as a, a, re- a recovering conservative uh, <laughs> will say, you know, like we, we, there has to be some sort of a back and forth uh, and, and we'll have more conversations about that going forward. It's just that this is sort of devolved. I remember uh, when I was in another station, there uh, Chris Duffy one time and I were having a conversation he was the, he did all the imaging and like all the great vocal work there. And I was saying, I was, I was saying, I just wish I could make people understand something. I can't remember what the rest of the conversation was. And he said, that's your problem. You think you can make anyone do anything. And it has to be a conversation of ideas rather than shoving ideas down people's throats and attacking them. And, and I'm trying to find that ground, but we have to keep showing up for it. And, and whether or not we hold on to a bigger lead in the Senate, if we're able to uh, minimize the Republican lead in the, in the House, ultimately, you know, we have to figure out what kind of work we want to get done. And people do think with their pocketbooks and, you know, we have to figure out how to communicate the successes that we have, what we want to accomplish and what we do for families, for workers, for access to health care and all those things. Right. That's what it has to be about. And you're right off that point. And there's also there's also yeah. a different kind of victory. And it's not one necessarily in which we push forward more legislation that, that we hope to get passed. Sometimes a victory is simply not going backwards on the legislation that we have managed yes. to get through. And, and that's what we can accomplish here, because controlling the Senate and the White House means that the Republican Party, they can be obstructionist, but they can't push, uh, push back on what we've already passed. So that's the good thing. And then that takes us to 2024. And I think we're in a good position there to, again, hold the, the House, the Senate and the White House. Interesting. Thank you so much, Steve. What are your thoughts, Scott? 
Well, I think I, you know, I never, I, you taught me a valuable lesson in 20, I keep coming back to 2016, that you never discount Donald Trump and his minions to do, you know, mischief and to, they go to the polls, they vote. They, yeah. What we saw finally, finally, Patty, is what we saw is in this, in this midterm election is we saw millennials go to the polls in big numbers. And that is huge. Uh, they're finally waking up to the fact that, oh, my gosh, you know, we now have a Supreme Court that could take away. They could take away gay marriage now. They can take away the right to birth control. You're talking about people, Republicans coming into the House that have talked about. I'm, I'm not making this stuff up, people that talk about outlawing birth control. What? Yep. And also because it looks like the, the House is going to be a thin, major, thin uh, Republican majority real quick. That means that Marjorie Taylor Greene and that that are going to have a considerably more power than if they'd actually won by 21 or 25 votes. Right. So, and by the way, with the new group coming in, she's going to be the smart one. Just throwing <laughs> it out there. No, I was. By the way, how surprised were you that the lower the Lauren Bobbitt race uh, is coming down like this? So it's such a tight race with 99 percent of the votes counted. I think that she's got like 1100, 1100 vote lead. Yeah, and she's already, I mean, what's funny is before she took the lead, she was talking about, you know, fake, you know, rigged election, rigged election. And now she's taking a lead and she's not saying this. Right. So uh, so we know the playbook and, and going forward, I'm, you know, I'm not surprised that crazy people, um, you know, bad people, bad, bad actors in politics are, are losing their seats. This happened, this has happened before. Um, there was, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the election in 1974, where a lot of crazy Democrats came in, and they were in there, in the, especially in the House. They were there for a, for a term, and they got voted out um, because there was such a such a blue wave back then. Um, the same, it's, the same holds true here, and so you kind of hope that the country's kind of coming back to its senses, and it kind of feels that way, doesn't it? it kind of feels like we're moving back towards some semblance of, of, of reasonableness. Well, how long that lasts, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I, I well, speaking of reasonableness, tell us a little bit about this new venture you have uh, with Center Clip. What is this? Isn't that interesting? It's sort of there's sort of like mini uh, podcasts. You, 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 it's, it's, it's on your phone, and they, they they approached a number of us, a number of commentators around the country, uh, to participate. And you just have like, let's say, I'm probably going to go on after this and talk about. Um, the House going Republican and so on. And you can just, you, it goes from either 30 seconds to three minutes. Uh, you can go there. So it's center clip um, and it's a, and it's an app you can download. It's free. And um, I would urge your listeners and you, Patty, to, to uh, pick it up and give it a listen. It's, it's really, uh, it's kind of, it kind of makes you think this is the future. You know, I mean, I do a podcast called B- DMZ America with my friend, Ted Rawl. Um, and in fact, on the earlier segment, we talked about the railroad strike. And we have the, my friend who works for the railroads on it. So DMZ America, you can get it anywhere you have podcasts. But Center Clip, like I said, they're like mini podcasts. And, you, and the other commentators can, can respond to what you say. So there, I've already had some back and forth with some of the commentators on the site. So go check it out, guys. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's free. You can't be free. Well, and I love I love how much of the work, you know, while while I miss you in Chicago, um, I love the perspective that you're bringing to not just uh, now Illinois politics, but also whether it's Texas or, you know, other. Obviously, you've always done the national uh, stories. And I watched you uh, draw a a Donald Trump uh, cartoon in real time, which is one of my favorite (laughs) memories of 
hanging out with you uh, uh, let, for a moment. Let me just because uh, I know that uh, former uh, minority leader of the House in Illinois, Jim Durkin, uh, talked about in his exit interviews. He's talking about how, like, you know, that people are looking at Republicans as extreme and kind of crazy. And you talk about yeah. it, you have a cartoon uh, that the Illinois GOP has to back off the far right, although there were some successful uh, Republicans and maybe they look to that like Mary Miller and other races. What are your thoughts on, on what the path forward is for Republicans in Illinois? Well, I think that, you know, they had an editorial in the Chicago Tribune, which I agreed with, which is they have to uh, they can go forward with with fiscal conservatism. I think that's a really important point to drive home in, Al- in Illinois because they haven't. Uh, in my view, been responsible. Uh, they, and they certainly can be more responsible. And I think that there's room for that. You're talking about, you know, property taxes in, in, uh, Chicago, which are going, which were, they pegged to inflation. <laughs> so those are going through the roof for everybody around that you have the Illinois exodus. Uh, but the other side of that ledger is that these culture warriors, you know, you had, uh, Bailey, um, uh, who was the gubernatorial candidate. He put the goober in gubernatorial. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he and he, um, but but he was a culture warrior, and that's just not going to resonate. And you can't. The other thing is, if I could just do a postmortem on that on that campaign. First of all, you know he was he was told by Dan Prof what to say, and, and you say things like, you know, Chicago is a hellhole. Well, Chicago holds what percentage of the vote in that state, Patty? I mean, it's if you're going to insult sixty or seventy percent of the voters, then you probably oughtn't run for that office if you think you're going to re- not represent them. Uh, the Republican Party, I, I'm battling. The Republican Party has to do th- fiscal conservatism. We're going to rein in the wanton spending. We're going to enforce and increase uh, 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 corruption and, and, and prosecution of corruptions. On the other side, you're going to have to either moderate, you're going to have to significantly moderate the uh, the culture of war stuff on that side. Or, or they just are going to continue to be a, a, a very small minority party there in Illinois. Well, I will uh, debate you on uh, the Illinois exodus some other time and uh, the fiscal because I saw I saw Jim Durkin talking about fiscal responsibility. And I I agree when we talk about pensions, when we talk about property taxes, but the fiscal responsibility part of it when Rauner was in office was to, you know, the the solution from the Republicans that I encountered was to cut social services and make people hurt in order to prove a point. And and if that's, uh, you know, an idea of conservative uh, fiscal responsibility, like I want no part of that. And, and I don't, I, I don't, I would hope that they, if they get their legs under them again, somehow uh, would, it, you know, push that aside and we find a way to atta- attack the problems that you're talking about. You want to hear the, okay, this may be the dullest radio that people will hear all day, but I'll, I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Real quick, Calvin Coolidge, a terrific new biography came out a couple of years ago. I know it sounds like not. he would every morning, Patty, for an hour, he would sit down with the Secretary of the Treasury, and they would go through the budget line by line. And I've heard people say, I don't want my president to do that. I don't want my governor to do that. That's all I want my governor to be doing. I want him or her to be looking, going through those books line by line and and know where that money is going. I really do believe that there is probably substantial savings to be had if you took a more serious approach to budgeting that way. I mean, um, that would be, you know, my, you know, num- rule number one. If I, you know, Scott Stennis for governor now, <laughs> more than before. <laughs> yeah, wait till you're eighty. You'll be great at eighty. You and you and Nancy. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I'm not 80. Stop it. I'm saying in 20 years. I'm just saying we're talking about people like, okay. you know, continuing to be viable and smart and have an impact. Uh, but, you know, I, I appreciate this time with you, Scott, and I would love to have you on again uh, at least every month, if not more often, uh, when your schedule allows. Oh, that. Yeah, wonderful. And tell folks one more time where they can find you. Uh, you can go to, I'm going to uh, uh, go to uh, Center Clip, which is a, a new app. Go ahead and download that for yourself. Also, I do DMZ America podcast with Ted Rawl, who is uh, a dear, dear, dear friend. And, uh, but he also happens to be far, far left. And it just shows we never yell at each other, ever. I mean, it's just, it's so if you want to go someplace where, you know, the yelling is put aside. That's, that's where you can go. Also see my cartoons at chicagotribune.com slash opinion or go to gocomics.com slash Scott Stantis. Awesome. Have a great Bye. evening, my friend. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thank you. Love you. Thank you. Love you too. I'm going to run, these, I'm gonna run uh, some messages from the station and then we're going to say goodbye. Thank you. For accurate news coverage. I will tell you what Donald Trump is doing is not only an exercise in ego, but it's dangerous to the future of this country. Like awesome. you, the United States wants this war to end. The oh only God, country standing oh, in the way of that is Russia. And factual conversations. The Republicans are defending a system that is in place today that allows murderers and rapists and domestic abusers to buy their way out of jail. Chicago's progressive talk. The hospitality industry is at the top of that list, and I'm confident that this ordinance will help them. WCPT 820. It's pro time because at Lowe's, it's Provember. Save big with inventory you can count on, like Flex products or DeWalt power tools starting at just $99. Plus, Lowe's MVPs members earn up to three times bonus points per dollar on select items. Save all Provember long. Bonus points calculated before taxes and fees after applicable discounts, if any. MVPs Pro Rewards Program terms and restrictions apply. See Lowe's.com slash L slash Pro Loyalty terms. Subject to change. Prices valid from 101722 to 2323 or until supplies last. Cold floors? The problem is probably down below in the basement or crawl space. Hi, I'm Roy Spencer with Permaseal. I'm happy to say that we can now help make your basement and crawl space warmer and therefore your upstairs more comfortable with our new product, Permafoam. We spray this insulating foam between your floor joists, which will not only increase your energy efficiency, but will also deter insects, rodents, and is mold and mildew resistant. Permafoam can be installed in just one day and is twice as effective as the old-fashioned fiberglass bats. For over 40 years, homeowners in Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana have trusted Permaseal to make their homes healthier and more valuable. Call a contractor you can rely on. Permaseal. 800-421-SEAL. That's 800-421-7325. Or visit permaseal.net. WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk, where facts matter. It's got a reminder to uh, make sure I turn my microphone off during commercial breaks. Thank you, everybody. I want to thank everyone for joining us for our new extended Driving It Home Till 7 with me, Patty Vasquez. Thank you to WCPT. Thank you, Lady B. Uh, I was, that was so much fun. It just, it, I felt relaxed, and uh, I, I always have, uh, and, I, and I appreciate more than anything else, uh, everyone uh, being here with us to have these conversations. I will get to more texts as uh, we settle in and figure out the rhythm of this. And thank you uh, also to my husband. Uh, I now get home a little bit later for dinner and uh, to spend time with my family. And it's long days. Also, I remind everybody, I will be at the uh, Blaine's Bourbon and Brass this Wednesday with Adam Burke and Eric and Nicole Clark. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of your day. I'm going to leave it with uh, our sponsor and then turn the station over, everybody. Have a good night.